Hello, my name is Adam Kaufman, and I'm thankful you're joining us today on the Up To podcast. Before we get started, I want to tell you about a group that I'm grateful for, and that is Town Hall, Cleveland's most popular restaurant, and one that I can say is the only place my wife tells me she can eat every meal, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Town Hall was the first all-non-GMO restaurant in the U.S. a few years ago, and they're now expanding into Columbus, Ohio soon. I'm also very selective about who we choose to partner with for this podcast, and it was with open arms that I embraced the idea of partnering with Bobby George and Town Hall. To learn more about what they're up to, you can visit townhallohiocity.com. The one thing about America and entrepreneurs is they can just be who they are, and they don't have to fit into a particular mold. Entrepreneurs tend to be less guarded. Hi, I'm Adam Kaufman, and you're listening to the Up To Podcast. I've been fortunate throughout my career to be networking, serving, and working with the most successful, influential leaders in America. Eight years ago, we started Up To as a live event series which showcased leaders who I thought were as humble as they are successful. And for me, the humility piece is very important as we identify these leaders who can hopefully inspire others. And over the years, I've interviewed trailblazers from the fields of medicine and from business, from the military, from nonprofits, from politics, and more. We really focus our interviews on the non-business aspects of their lives. And what we found is that there's a real thirst to explore their hearts and their minds in maybe atypical ways. So, time and again, attendees of Up2 have asked us to expand the event so that more people could participate and benefit from the special dialogue taking place. And that's why we started this podcast. And I'm so glad you're with us today. Umberto Fidelli is the CEO of the Fidelli Group, a risk management and insurance firm. He's quite civically engaged. He's a renowned philanthropist, and he's one of the nation's most influential Catholic benefactors. Many who want to run for U.S. president seek his support. Famously, he hosts both lunches at his office and dinners at his home, where you could see CEOs of public companies, United States senators, movie stars, or members of the clergy. It's quite a mix of accomplished people. So sit back and let's listen to what Umberto has been up to. Uh, thrilled that you're here with us today at Up To. Thanks for coming. It's my pleasure, Adam. Is this your first podcast ever? No, I did, uh, I think, one or two others, but I did them by telephone, okay. not live. Well, it's pretty neat to be in a studio with you, and we thank you for that. So tell us, what have you been up to? We had an event with uh, Cardinal Burke, who came in from Rome and visited, and we had an event for him, and then we had a thank you that you were at for Governor DeWine and some of his supporters and baptism of a new granddaughter, and so then uh, we were in Florida for a little bit, so we've just been uh, back to work. You and Mary Ellen are spectacular hosts. You're known for that. We'll get to that a little bit. Uh, what about on the professional front? Any new pursuits or focusing on your core businesses? At the Fideli Group, we do group benefits consulting, and we uh, could be announcing a joint venture with a major company where we're going to be able to do more sophisticated analysis of uh, benefit situations and wellness. And then and on the risk management side, we have a lot of clients that are making acquisitions and growing. So we're busy, busy at work. Let's back up for a few minutes. I want our audience to learn a little bit about you. 
You were born in the U.S., correct? I was born in, actually, in the city of Cleveland. I was born in a neighborhood called Collinwood, old ethnic neighborhood in the Near East Side, moved out as a baby to South Euclid. Okay. Your ethnicity, your heritage, your Italian heritage is a big part of who you are. It's one of the things people find charming about you. Were your parents born in the U.S. also? No, no. My parents were both immigrants. My mother is from one part of Italy on the Adriatic. My father is from a little village south of Rome. So they were both both immigrants, and as my grandparents and most of my aunts and uncles were immigrants. So I'm first generation born in America. Awesome. I visited my family's villages in Lebanon for the first time a few years ago. Have you been to the original villages where your parents were from? Yes, many times. I've had the uh, the opportunity to be there uh, 25, 30 times. So wow. So we have visited, and we still have relatives there. So we, we try to get there once a year to say hello to our cousins and our aunts and uncles. One of my mentors, former ambassador Doug Holliday, you might have met him once, but he taught me the importance of understanding that we're all born into somebody else's story. There's no question about that. So uh, why don't you talk a little bit about like whose story, what story you were born into? Well, you know, obviously when you're first generation, my, my mom and dad being immigrants, my grandparents, so they didn't speak English as a baby. And so we were very much part of my grandparents and my, my, my parents and a bunch of immigrants who came uh, to this great country for a better life. Being Italian was something that it's all I knew from all the traditions and the customs. It's a great culture, one that uh, respects and admires family and faith and mm -hmm. friendship, and they're kind of all intermingled. There's not a lot of separation between culture and religion and family and friends. It's kind of uh, one mosaic, if you will. And do you think that you've made it important to continue some aspects of the heritage to the next generation, to your kids? Yes, it's very much part of who we are because... Uh, we're very proud of our heritage, as we are of our, our Catholic faith as well. And there are wonderful traditions and wonderful customs. And um, we always enjoyed sharing with our friends. So it wasn't that we were disrespectful of someone else's culture or someone else's faith. We just wanted to share. And I always found that if you shared the attributes of what you knew, other people respected it and felt that you uh, have embraced them. So it's very much part of who we are. Were there any early signs that maybe you were destined to be a business owner? Or did that come later in life? No, I didn't think it came that late. I think um, because when you beat to your own drum and you're not part of the corporate world, you don't fit into a box and you kind of just do things your way. And being an entrepreneur, you can kind of just be who you are and do things your way. And so I would have a hard time in a company where they don't have food there and then have people cooking food and serving food and snacks all the time and, and family members coming and visiting and friends coming and visiting. It's all part of a day. And so I think early on that the way we do our business is the way we do our life. There is not a separation. And so it's just an extension of who we are. Hmm. And in the early years when you were a student, were you already having business ideas? A lot of entrepreneurs tell stories about funny businesses they try to start or failed opportunities or any kind of early signs that you were going to do your own thing? Yes. When I was younger, I really thought I would go in some type of food business, and I actually did once. It was not successful. And I really thought we would do something in the area of food because I was a compulsive eater, but mm -hmm. I also loved to be around food. And I found that we could use that as a hobby since we have our own dining room every day. We have guests and we have our own restaurant. We've been over a number of times, our trattoria. Mm -hmm. So... We don't necessarily have to do business doing it. We don't have any revenue 
in our dining room or in our home, obviously. But uh, the whole idea of breaking bread, we always think there's something special and something magic that happens when you break bread with people around the table. It's definitely a different level of closeness, whether it's a personal friend or a business opportunity. It's much different having a meal together. And not only the meal, but the way you walk around and you actually personally serve the pizza or pour the soup. Or the wine. And so we have lunch every day in our dining room. And my mother and sister are there four to five days. And then we have Giuseppe, chef from uh, Italy, who's there the other day. And then at our home. So it's the favorite part of the day for me. Mm. So the part of the day that I enjoy is, is breaking bread and being with people. It's a way to, to serve others, but also embrace them. And it's also a way to uh, just interact in, in a very, very casual, relaxed way. I think the first time... I was lucky enough to come to one of your lunches. I said, I just shouted out, this is the best Parmesan cheese I've ever had. You told me exactly where in Italy it was from. It's from Emilia Romagna, which is where Bologna is the capital, and it's the Reggiano Parmigiano, and, <laughs> and it's also where Prosciutto the Parma is from. And oh, my gosh. So in Italy, food is a big priority, but also sharing it with others. And so the philosophy we have is the food that we serve to you and our guests is the food that we eat. And it's the same philosophy of how we do business. We'd only provide for you what we would do for ourselves and our family. We'd only ask you to invest in something that we already invested in. We'd only ask you to support a candidate or a cause that we are supporting. Of course. The food is symbolic of a lot more than just the food. I'm thinking also about the other ways. You're so known for your meaningful networking. Some people think networking is a bad word. I don't. But you develop these meaningful relationships in interesting ways. You've already talked about your lunches. When my father-in-law passed away, you sent to my wife and I this lovely porcelain ornament with a very uplifting spiritual message. Where do you get the ideas to do these sorts of things? I think what happens is that when you figure out that the people who have lived the most meaningful lives are those who had the best relationships and when people are at the end of their lives, that comes up more than anything else. So if that's the most important thing at the end, then I think it should be more important earlier. And so I think that any time you have the opportunity to maybe touch someone's life, it could be a celebration, but it could also be during a difficult time. And uh, sometimes these simple things are things that people remember later because we all go through tough times in life. The other day, a good friend of mine said, you know, the stock market is very volatile. And I said, so is life. Mm-hmm. Good reminder. Sober reminder. You're renowned for also helping others. You call this connecting dots. You were kind enough to let me preview your forthcoming book, and you're going to have a whole section on connecting the dots. Can you talk a little bit about what you mean by that? Well, when I was younger, I was collecting relationships, if you will, and not necessarily knowing what and how and why. And if you just take it maybe one or two steps further, sometimes you can actually put things together and maybe make one in one five. So sometimes you can introduce somebody to somebody else and they both do business or they both invest in something or they end up becoming someone's customer or banker. And if, if it creates value on both sides, and I've often said that I like to add value to create value. And if you can figure out how to add value and solve problems and build relationships and network, which we call the exchange information, ideas and resources, you become valuable to others because they want you then to be in their circle mm -hmm. because you can help them with 
their concerns, their problems, their challenges, uh, their desires, their dreams. I call that relationship equity. It's kind of similar. If you invest time in somebody, you're you're making a deposit into the relationship equity bank, so to speak. If you think about an ATM, you make deposits. And once in a while, you can make a withdrawal, but you hopefully want to be way ahead on the deposits. We and, call that the law of reciprocity. Yeah, that right. You can get anything you want in life if you help enough other people get what they want. And if you put their needs and their concerns first, you'll normally be okay. The Fidelity Group, your namesake, doing business in over 35 states and more than 120 employees, but I know that you don't spend all of your time just on your core business. You have a very competent team running the day-to-day. What are you uh, most stimulated by outside of the Fidelity Group in terms of your work pursuits? Well, I spend a lot of time with the relationships with our friends and our clients, and it could be helping them pick up another client. It could be helping them with uh, financing, helping them with banking. It could be helping them with... So this is the connecting of the dots, excuse Connecting me. the dots. So it's an indirect servicing of their needs, and it may not necessarily be in the business that we do. But then we also are involved investing, sometimes alongside with them, sometimes with them. So we're also active as an investor to help things grow. Uh, we're not necessarily the people who are making the product, but may, may be introduced to two people. I don't know much, but I've been very blessed to know people who know better. And so often we, we're, we're the people who kind of put them together. And I always thought that was a weakness because I didn't know how to do so much, but I didn't realize that maybe perhaps knowing others that are stronger in certain areas is actually a strength. Absolutely. That's my secret. I'm, I'm always the least accomplished guy in the conversation, but I want to know the people that others need to meet with. You need to know people who have first the integrity and then the, the ability or the expertise or the knowledge or, or the success in that particular area. And then when you can match those two together, then you can add value. So speaking of this uh, work you do outside of your day-to-day, one of the unintended consequences of your success, I think, probably is when you make moves, the media follows that oftentimes. Uh, if you're starting a bank fund, it gets reported who's investing with you. Or if you're taking your money out of a bank, there's speculation about the bank. Or if you're hosting the mayor for a fundraiser, there's pictures of your home, almost in like a negative way. I read an article preparing for this, or an envious way, I should say. Does this kind of public attention that you don't seek, you don't do the press releases for it, does it change your behavior at all? Or do you think about it much? Or do you just keep doing what you're going to do? And if the media shows up, they show up. Well, I usually tell them to come on in. And, and <laughs> uh, you know, they're suspicious. And sometimes you bring them in. Uh, when President Bush was over, we did not have that ability to do that because Secret Service would allow us. No, it doesn't really change anything because uh, we're pretty consistent. Uh, we're very comfortable in who we are and what we do yes. and, and who we're around. And Nothing to hide. Well, they're welcome to come in, and so if we believe in a person or a cause, the one event uh, that we had for the mayor, there were protesters. Uh, it was it was really political, and it was nothing to really do with us. It blew over. That was the only time ever we really had protesters. But the, you know, the press will cover things occasionally, or or when you know when the uh, you know president of the United States comes over, uh, that becomes newsworthy. Or or if you have some uh, movie star or mm-hmm. singer or something, which you've done all of those things. I know. I know the people you're th- thinking about. It's just interesting to watch me. Uh, when I first came to Cleveland, I grew up in Washington, D.C., and I started getting involved a little bit in politics, and folks told me, you need to meet Umberto Fideli. And then I got a little bit more involved in my church activities. People told me once again, well, you should talk to Umberto Fideli about that. 
I don't know if I ever told you this. I still didn't, maybe out of um, a little bit of intimidation because I, at this point, had heard about you. But then the third scenario was as I got more involved in business and people said, Adam, you have to talk to Umberto Fidelli. So I finally got up the courage and, and reached out to you. And you were, surprisingly to me, quite approachable. There's this intimidating reputation isn't quite the right word, but people aren't quick to approach you, I don't think, maybe even more than you realize because of your success, how many people you know, the types of things you're involved in. Are you aware of that reputation that precedes you? Uh, sometimes I'm really not because um, you know, when you're a peasant kid born in the inner city with immigrant parents that has more than you deserve and more than you need, you know, your roots aren't that far away from you. And so that's your uh, humility. That's what's spectacular well, about you. You can't, you know, we, we you, know, you have to manage the confidence with humility, and and also humility and gratitude are interrelated. And so, if you start off very grateful, uh, then you tend to have some humility, and also um, you know simple things like, hey, I'm sorry, or please, or thank you. When, when you start off and you don't have an education, you don't have contacts, you don't have knowledge, you don't have resources, you learn to be resourceful, but also you never forget what it feels like not having those things. So you want to make somebody else not feel intimidated. And so I, I don't think people are intimidated by me, but perhaps they are occasionally, and there's no reason to. There isn't. I mean, you're so approachable. You're so willing to help not only me, but I've watched you help people you don't know. I'm just glad that you're aware that some people think that because I know that you're not trying to portray that image at all. I sure hope I'm not, but you can't help what other people think at you times. Can't. And it's usually a perception someone has because they don't really know you. Once they that know you. That was me, right. It's a, it's a yeah. perception. And, yeah. and so sometimes people are right and sometimes they're not. Hello, Up To listeners. Right now, I'd like to take a moment to talk to you about Calfee, Halter, and Griswold, a full-service corporate law firm with attorneys throughout Ohio and in Washington, D.C., I'd also like to emphasize how selective we are about organizations with whom we choose to partner for the Up To podcast. And it's with much enthusiasm that we do partner with this law firm that is close to 120 years old. Calfee's mission has been to provide meaningful legal and business counsel to entrepreneurs and investors, private business owners and nonprofits, public corporations. I've referred many successful entrepreneurs and investors to Calfi knowing how well they'd be taken care of. And it's for those reasons that I would encourage you to visit their website, calfee.com. That's C-A-L-F-E-E.com. Thank you very much to Calfi. So actually, it was 12 years ago. I was thinking about it today. We were in New Orleans, and you introduced me to somebody because of a Catholic organization we were involved in. And that was kind of our first kind of bonding experience. Yeah, he's a great guy. Yeah, Joe Canizero, one of the leaders in New Orleans, and this group called Legatus, founded by Tom Monahan, that you brought to Cleveland. Are you still involved with Legatus? I'm still a member. There's term limits, and, and Tom's a you know, great American, and he grew up in an orphanage, and you know, borrows $800 to buy a pizza shop from two Italian brothers, and ends up taking one little pizza shop with $800 that was borrowed, and ends up building Dominic's to Domino's, and sells that to Mitt Romney, who we've had the opportunity to host at the home at Bain Capital, and today it's a big company, and now he's building Ave Maria. Tom, just a great American. It's a great success story, but he's a great guy. Very much 
a sincere man. He's a wonderful person, great humanitarian, great philanthropist, and has done amazing things. Yeah, he's a great guy. I uh, didn't plan on talking about Tom today, but it relates to this question. I did want to ask you, because I'm listening to you speak, and you were around him a lot. He's a generation older than you. Would have he been maybe a bit of a role model for you? I think from the standpoint that Tom um, was never embarrassed to be a Catholic. He doesn't take himself too serious, and um, he just he really is a nice man. So I think... Uh, Tom is just Tom, right? He's not trying to be anything else. And the one thing about America and entrepreneurs is they can just be who they are. Mm -hmm. And they don't have to fit into a particular mold. Entrepreneurs tend to be less guarded. So if he wasn't really a role model for you, do you think there is anyone in your past that maybe did serve as a bit of a role model if you didn't call him or her that? Well, I, I don't know if I ever called Tom role model, but I think... We learn from guys like Tom, and I've learned from so many, and Tom being one of them, but, but also when you look at great people, like Mother Teresa, I could never do what she did, and you just admire her. But, but also when Mother Teresa says, you know, every day you have the opportunity to do ordinary things in an extraordinary way. And she said, and I'm paraphrasing, so often people wait till they're really successful or they're really influential, and she says you miss so many opportunities every day. Uh, to touch people's lives. And I mm-hmm. think she brought the simplicity of what she said. Now, what she did was remarkable. And so, But everyone could relate to what she was, oh, was encouraging. No, I mean, I fall far short from people like that. But also business people. And when you're younger, and I remember one of my professors at John Carroll, who would take the time, and he was also like my counselor, gave me a bad grade, and I went up to him, and I said, Mr. Panicki, you gave me a D, and... Someday I'm, I'm going to be an important client of yours. And he goes, I know, you should have had an F, so shut up and get the hell out of here. And we're still friends today, and, and he's a great guy. But he, he was terrific all across different areas, you know. You can learn from so many people, right? Do you think anyone's learning from you? Do you ever think about who you're role modeling for? Well, hopefully your, your children. But sometimes I had a gentleman come see me recently, a very, very successful guy. I mean, very successful. And... I did not know. He said, I've been a role model of his for the last 15, 20 years, but I didn't know that. It made me feel that, boy, I may be having more of an impact than I even realized, but I didn't even know that. And when I say he's successful, I mean, he's a very, very wealthy guy, perhaps one of the wealthiest guys in our community and perhaps even in the country. And I, I just didn't realize it. I used to do business with his father. And when I started doing business with his father, he was probably maybe 12 or 13 years old. So did that make you think as well about others that, could be learning from you, if not formally, but just watching and observing how you've lived your life so far and I, I think how you behave? A, I think it's important in every encounter. I, I wrote a piece recently called The Eight E's of Effective Leadership. You know, you have to encounter people, embrace them, encourage them, empathize. The eight E's, okay. The eight E's. And you have 52 lessons coming out soon, right? Well, yeah, and that's been written for two or three years. I just haven't actually published it. I wrote it for five people. That's my five children, and it was lessons to share with them, and it started off with a commencement dress of the 10 things I wish I knew, and purely wrote it with the idea of sharing lessons that I learned, and then um, the 10 grew to, so figured, well, one a week doesn't sound like too many. So that's um, achievable. It's achievable, just one a week, and, you know, I think it's really more... Because I want to share experiences. Mm-hmm. And, and if I can help you avoid a problem 
or help you with something that can help you. And sometimes I, I get so energized and so talkative, and it's not because I want to dominate. It's just because I really want to share. I've noticed that once or twice. But it's because I want to share. You know, I just feel that I've been so blessed. Mm -hmm. You're very giving in that way. For our listeners, the time I speak with our guest the most is if he calls while he's on his morning treadmill and he just shares his thoughts for like 30 minutes or so. And it's (laughs) it's a huge treasure chest of information and it's very valuable. I have my own style, and it's not necessarily uh, out of Harvard Business School or <laughs> out of some manual. And, and so, you know, because I start so early in the morning, and mm-hmm. people are shocked that I start at 3 o'clock or 3.30. And then, and then, uh, you start your day at 3. Yeah. Sometimes I sleep in at 3.30. What time are you going to bed to get up at 3? Well, it depends on what time I fall asleep. Uh, last night may have been 10 o'clock. Some nights maybe 10.30. Some nights 9.30. So that's not a lot of sleep. Well, I, mean, I, I, I get six hours, and that's probably less. Well, I, I, I have no problem, Adam, falling asleep. It's just that I wake up and then sometimes I just start don't, thinking. I don't get back to sleep. That so happens I said, to me. Well, start working, and and it's when I do my reading and my working and my research and all the things I need to do quietly. Reports and there's a lot of reading you need to do to keep on top of things. That's the most productive part of the day for me is the early morning. Frankly, yes, you can read working a lot. and working out. Yeah, no question. And then, and then, you know, I, you know, I found the only way that I would consistently exercise is if I forgot I was doing it. And I would put a headset on and, and have conference calls or make telephone calls, get catch up. In a few weeks, you're going to be on the treadmill listening to this conversation. On your, might, fir- right. your first podcast you ever listened to. It might. <laughs> might. I might, right? You better be. Let me switch for a few minutes to some of your non-work pursuits. You've chosen to get involved with the Cleveland Clinic. I know you support the Catholic Church, as you mentioned, in various ways. How do you think about what to say yes to, because people come at you with so many ideas and opportunities and needs. And how do you kind of filter what you want to pursue and saying no to some things politely? I'm always interested in successful people like you. Some have a thesis on philanthropy or just a, how do you decide what to pursue and what not to do? Well, sometimes people bring you causes or areas they like, and then you kind of like it and you feel passionate about it. Other times, uh, maybe something you run into or, you know, we, we happen to love children. My wife and I do. We're blessed to have five and right now six grandchildren. And Congratulations. Thank you and hopefully a lot more. And there's nothing worse than seeing a sick child or an injured child or a child that's suffering life and death or what the family goes through. And so the ability or, or the opportunity to help them. And so, you know, we got involved with the children's hospital because they touch so many lives. And the children's hospital at the clinic does the tough things that they do for the adults for little children. And so they have 800,000 visits a year with families. We're talking about the Cleveland Clinic's children's hospital? Yes, they do an amazing job. And so we, we've been on the board there now, I don't know if it's 18 or 20 years. And yeah, you see the compassion of these caregivers and the concern that they have. And then you see all these sick children with all these challenges. And so there's so many, this is such a giving community, right? And there's so many good causes. That's my question, really, is like how to decide. Everyone has limited resources, different limits, but we all have to say no once in a while. Yes, there's no question. And you can't possibly do everything you'd like to do and want to do. You don't have all the resources or all the, the, all the time. I think you need to be passionate about it. Mm. I think you need to feel connected to it or you feel that you're making a difference or something that you feel that this is something that 
like to do. And so I look at children and look at the innocence. So it's one thing we like, but there, I also feel bad for elderly poor or people that are, you know, in a nursing home. Or, yeah, or the Haiti that, project we've been involved in together. Yeah, well, yeah. Well, it's, well, Governor DeWine today, not, not Senator DeWine, and, and, and uh, Father Hagen, who I did see on Monday, got 8,000 children that he feeds and educates and, and touches their lives. And that was brought to us by Mike mm-hmm. 20 years ago, and he visited it. And so so that that was a cause that he brought. So it wasn't on your game plan at the time. I didn't even know what it was. And Mm -hmm. and, and when I first said yes, I said yes because Mike asked me, but I didn't even know what I said yes to. Thinking backwards uh, one more time, you still have a a lot of uh, good work and civic activity ahead of you, I have no doubt. But do you ever think backwards, opportunities you missed? or Lots. What what maybe advice would you give like the 21-year-old version of yourself? I would say a couple things, Adam. Number one is sometimes you're looking for opportunities on Wall Street. I didn't miss them on Wall Street. I didn't even miss them on 9th Street. I missed them right in front of me at my home or right in front of me at our offices. And sometimes the best opportunities are in front of you and you don't necessarily see it at the time. And I think uh, also something I refer to as rational targeting. What do you do well and what do you like? Rational targeting. What do you like and what are you really good at? And if you do what you really like and what you're really good at, and then you do something called relationship mapping and how do you maybe connect those dots. And so if we would earlier in our life figure out what are your real strengths? I had no idea what my strengths are. What are your weaknesses? The weaknesses aren't really that important as long as you know what they are. It's really playing to your strengths. Absolutely. When you play to strengths and you do what you love to do, you just can't wait to do it. When you're doing things you don't necessarily like to do or love to do, you're just doing it. And then you're competing with people who love to do what they do. When you do what you like to do and you're good at, you can't wait to do it. You tend to do it exponentially more successful than you would if you weren't passionate about it. So that's good advice for all of our listeners. But is that something you would have told yourself at age 21 now if you could go back and talk to that young, full of hair, Umberto Fideli? Yes, I'd say figure out what you're really good at. If it's testing, talk to other people and go after what you really enjoy and love to do and you're so passionate about and you'll be way more successful. Watching you in your various pursuits, you always seem completely passionate about whatever we're doing that day. Do you ever picture time when you're not going to get starts up, you're always the best-dressed fellow in the room, wonderful suit today. Do you ever see a scenario where you're not working, quote-unquote, every day, or do you think that'll always be a part of who you are? Yeah, I work a little bit every day, play a little bit every day. Um, if it's not work, then is it really work? So if you're doing what It doesn't you, feel like work, is what you're saying. Right. If you're doing what you like to do with people that you love to do it with, then you're doing something you really enjoy, and then it isn't work. I totally understand that. I hope I hope others do. People ask me sometimes, like, are you going to be working while you're traveling? And I feel like I'm always working and I'm always having fun. <laughs> it's all intermingled, and so if you do what you enjoy, and so so when I go out of town and we, we have a home, I, I don't fish. I have any interest in it. I have nothing against the fish, but I don't like it. Golf, I have nothing against it. Uh, the scenery's nice, but I don't have any interest <laughs> yeah. in the game. So all the things you're supposed to like to do, if you don't like doing them, then that to me would be real work. Mm -hmm. My work isn't work. 
because I get to do things with wonderful people and great business people and, and do things in the community, and it's all intermingled, right? So we socialize, we do business, we do charities, we do politics, we do some investments, and it, it's all— it, Connecting it, dots. Sometimes we connect a few dots. You only have to connect a few. Well, one of the wonderful aspects of my life is I get to know people like you in different contexts, and then we have— discussions like this on the New Up To podcast. So I'm just really grateful that you joined us today. And I'm honored that this will be the first podcast you will be listening to at some point. So I, I really appreciate you coming today. Well, and thanks for having me. It was uh, really our pleasure. I appreciate you inviting us. Reflecting on today's conversation with Umberto, there's so much to take away. One, if you find you don't fit neatly into a box, you just might be an entrepreneur. Number two, the power of sharing a meal, serving and sharing food can bring people closer together. Number three, the people who have the most meaningful lives are often the ones with the most interesting relationships. Four, humility and gratitude are interrelated. Five, Umberto reminded us what Mother Teresa said, every day we have an opportunity to do ordinary things in extraordinary ways. Finally, sometimes our best opportunities can be right in front of us. I'm Adam Kaufman, and I'd like to thank you for joining us on this Up To podcast. I sincerely hope that you enjoyed today's episode, and I encourage you to subscribe to our new show wherever you listen to podcasts or visit us at uptofoundation.org. A special thank you to the law firm of Calfee, Halter, and Griswold for their role in making this podcast possible. Visit them at www.calfee.com for further information. And to our friends at Town Hall, you can learn more about their restaurants by visiting townhallohiocity.com. Up To is a production of Evergreen Podcasts. A special thanks to our producers, Bridget Coyne and Sarah Wilgrube, our account manager, Connor Standish, and our audio engineers, Eric Holtnow and Dave Douglas. I'm your host, Adam Kaufman. Thank you for listening to the Up To podcast. <laughs>